What's up, sports fans? You're listening to In the Field Podcast, your source for all things sports. I'm your host, Derek Woods, alongside my co-host, Jonathan Jordan, and we're back for episode two, baby. What's up, John? You ready to get into this or what? Yes, sir. Excited to be back for episode two. Uh, before we get into our rundown here, let you guys know what we're going to be talking about today. I do just want to uh, show some appreciation to all the people that uh, followed our page last week and, and uh, listened to our first podcast. I think we had uh, quite a bit, over 200 followers on social media, and uh, uh, we had over 100 listens, I believe, on our first uh, episode, so that's good. Um, you know, can't stress that enough. This is really a team effort, so we do appreciate you guys, uh, you know, liking and following and listening and everything. Yeah, John, thanks for hitting on that. Uh, we appreciate all the likes, all the shares, all the listens, definitely. Um, we're going to give you good content. Uh, we're passionate about this, and this is just something that we're really – we really want to put our all into, and so you'll get good content out of us. So uh, thanks for the listens. Uh, so yeah, man, I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk about it, man. It's it's podcast day, man. <laughs> it's for me, podcast day is like it's like game day, man. You know, I played college football. Uh, you know, before the game, you're all hyped, your juices is flowing, get the butterflies or whatever. So that's how I feel about podcasting, man. So I'm, yes, I'm just excited, man. Let's get to this rundown. Let's do it. Yeah, so uh, the rundown for today, um, we're going to start off uh, Zion's debut. Uh, we'll get into the AFC and the NFC championship game reaction. We'll talk Richard Sherman, Darrell Revis, who's the best cornerback of this generation. Uh, we'll get into the Astros' punishment. Was it fair? We'll talk about LeBron's son, Bronny James, how he was hit with uh, candy at his basketball game. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll talk about Luke Keekley retiring at the age of 28. We'll get into some Lakers basketball. We'll also talk about Delonte West. I'm sure you all uh, saw that video um, over the past couple days. We'll talk about Eli Manning's retirement and Derek Jeter uh, being announced as a Hall of Famer. So, yeah, let's uh, get into our first topic, uh, Zion Williamson's debut. Um, how do you feel about his performance, John? Uh, it's hard to, you know, complain. You can't. You'd you have to nitpick to find some issues. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch the game live because I'm 67 years old and I go to sleep at 8:30 every night. So, but I did watch the highlights. <laughs> and uh, obviously, the Pelicans uh, they lost to the Spurs 121-117. Zion was on a minutes restriction. He only saw the floor for 18 minutes, but he uh, racked up 22 points, uh, four for four from three, which I think was huge. Uh, you know, they were daring him to shoot, and he made them pay for it, and it actually almost cost them the game. Uh, so that's, that's going to be big for him going forward. You know, if he can, uh, if he can give us 35 to 40% consistently from three, that he's going to be a real big problem. Not to cut you off there, John, but I just want to – while you were mentioning uh, Zion going four for four from three-point line, I just wanted to bring up a stat here. Uh, this is via ESPN Stats and Info. Um, Zion went four for four from three. All of those threes coming within a two thirty-four, two minutes and thirty-four second span in the fourth quarter. Uh, at Duke, Zion had never made more than three three-pointers in a game. Wow! So yeah, and he his made. Debut, that's wild. I didn't even know. So that. he made four threes in a two minute and thirty-four span last night. Uh, and at Duke, he never made more than three in a game. So I just definitely, definitely wanted to point that out. That's very interesting stat. So, yeah, I'll let you get back to it, though. I was going – what do you think, man? You think that's an outlier? Do you think that's, like, you know, just, like, just a uh, random kind of thing that happened? Or do you think he can give us that, you know, on a more consistent basis? For me, I watched a lot of Zion last year. You know, it was like a phenomenon uh, all over social media, sports center, ESPN, all of those things. So, I watched a lot of them last season. And, actually, every time I watched him, I was actually <laughs> impressed with his shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't look – you know, it's not the prettiest shot, but it, it was effective in some of the games that I've watched. I mean, he doesn't take a lot, but when he does take them, he can hit them. So, uh, as we saw last night, uh, we posted a, a video of some of his highlights on our Facebook page um, in the podcast, in the field podcast um, on Facebook. Follow that. Yeah, so uh, we posted a video of his highlights, and you could see that um, the Spurs were just lagging back, uh, respecting the drive, respecting his athleticism and his, you know, ability to score in the paint. They were just letting him shoot, and he made them pay. So, I'm, I know he won't go four for four every night, but I just think right. that he can 
he can uh, make it to where he's respectable from three and that they won't just leave him open like they did last night. Yeah, you know, uh, we can move on after this. I'm just curious, though. Uh, you know, he went he went eight for 11 from the field in total, I believe. He had 17 points also – or 22 points, I'm sorry, 17 in the fourth quarter. Also grabbed uh, seven rebounds, had three assists. I'm just curious, you know, it's ironic that he came back last night and performed that way after the discussion we had last week comparing him to John Morant. I'm, I'm curious if he swayed anyone already, you know, just after that first game. Because yep. that was pretty impressive last night. Yep, you got a little ahead of it. I was going to get to that. Uh, I definitely was going to get to that. Um, there's, a, there's a stat I've seen. Um, Zion's rookie of the year odds actually improved dramatically just after playing one game. I want to say he went from 16-1. Uh, to uh, eight to one favorites, wow. yeah, so he jumped up to second place behind John Moran after playing literally only one game. That means um, if you got that sixteen to one, you're loving life right now. Yeah, refer back to uh, last week's uh, episode one. Uh, we definitely covered that uh, topic, uh, Zion or John Moran. Uh, and on last week's episode, I said uh, hold your horses a little bit on the John Moran hype. Uh, John Moran being better than Zion hype because. Like I said, we hadn't seen him play a game. And uh, I think he reminded a lot of people of the talent that he has. Absolutely. The, the biggest thing, uh, yeah, I wanted to, wanted to bring up, he definitely looks out of shape. Um, I know they said they were going to try to get him to lose weight, but to me he looks the same way, if not bigger. Uh, definitely looks out of shape. I know he hasn't played in a while, so he'll get in the, he'll get in the shape as the season goes along. Um, I know we all wanted to see Zion play more than 18 minutes which is what I think he played, yeah. Yeah. He played 18 minutes. Uh, but I think it was a smart decision to uh, stick with the minutes restriction. I mean, he's had injury, injuries dating back to high school, uh, knee injuries, knee problems. So that goes back to, like I say, in the offseason, uh, definitely I think he needs to drop a little weight, you know, uh, lean up, lean out his frame. That's That should be an emphasis for him in the offseason, Uh but, yeah, I think it was smart of them not to rush him back, play too many minutes. Because, honestly, uh, if you watch the game, he had him back in the game. I think he even hit a three for them to take the lead. So, who knows what would have happened had he not been on that minutes restriction. And he yeah. Was- yeah, but, you know, obviously, if you're if you're Pelicans management, you got to look at the bigger picture, right. though. Exactly. I mean, I, I think it's smart to not only uh, restrict his minutes, you know, obviously in his first game last night, but I think that they should definitely continue to do it. Uh, you know, we got load management's a big thing in the NBA right now. And normally it's the more veteran guys, but I think, you know, with Zion coming back kind of in the middle of the season here, I think just just chalk it, man. I'm not saying they should tank by any means, but definitely limit, you know, give him a day off every now and then, limit his minutes when he's on the floor because you don't, you don't want a, you know, already nagging injury. You don't want that to turn into something even more serious and mess him up going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, while you're talking about that, let's, let's take a look at the standings. Yeah, I don't <laughs> – let's see where the – uh, I know the Pelicans, Pelicans are they're, the Pelicans they're out are, of it right now. Yeah, they're currently sitting at 17 and 28, and then the eight seed is 20 and 23. They're actually only three games out of the eight seed. So, with that being said, would you still tank the season, or would you try to ride Zion to an eighth seed and maybe a possible playoff spot? All right, I'm going to say what I would do if I were in management. I would be looking at it like, if we play the Lakers in a seven-game series, are we winning that? The Clippers, are we winning that? The Jazz, you know, like uh, the, you can go down the list. The Pel- There's a number yep. of teams that the Pelicans aren't beating, even if Zion is completely healthy. Yep. So, you know, if that if they do make the playoffs, great. But if I'm them, you know, I'm definitely I'm, – I'm watching his load management. You know, I'm watching his minutes for sure. Yep, yep. Okay, so uh, another aspect of Zion's debut that I wanted to hit on, um, Brandon Ingram how Zion fits with him and um, how the Pelicans will use Brandon Ingram going forward now that they have Zion. Um, A stat that I wanted to point out, uh, Brandon Ingram, he's tied for 22nd in the NBA in uses rate. He's right behind players like uh, Devin Booker, Anthony Davis, and then he's he's right ahead of guys such as Pascal Siakam, Kimball Walker, and uh, Nikola Jokic. So, Ingram, uh, he's been getting his shots this season. Uh, how do you think – I know he's on a minutes restriction right now, but if he gets off of that and, you know, they're in a normal game flow for both players, how do you think um, Zion will impact Brandon Ingram? 
Uh, hopefully not too much because, um, I mean, some people may disagree with me. I'm really high on Brandon Ingram. I think dude's a baller. Uh, yeah. That was the biggest piece that, that the Lakers gave up last year, I felt like, for uh, Anthony Davis. Uh, he's only he's still young, you know. He's only going to get going to get better. So hopefully uh, they can mesh, and you know if they if they can make that work, you know that'd be a special pairing. And you know they got some other talent there too. Look at even the even the lower tier guys like Jackson Hayes got some potential over there too. Yep. So I actually saw him uh, speaking of Jackson Hayes. I saw him play live. Um, I want to say it was at uh, University of Xavier. Uh, it was Springfield. It was Springfield High School, and uh, he played for uh, Cincinnati Moeller, I believe. Okay. And uh, I saw him play. <laughs> and uh, he pretty much dominated Springfield. I mean, um, it, it was crazy uh, to watch him play live and to see uh, his athleticism. I know you see it uh, already in the NBA. You saw it in a one year at Texas. Uh, right. He's one of the most athletic bigs I've ever seen, and to see him play live was amazing. He tried a windmill dunk on us. He tried to dunk on one of our defenders. It was wild. and uh, But he missed it. But he, like, you know, it was one of those plays where he missed it, but the whole crowd still went nuts because right. it was just – it looked unbelievable, honestly. Yeah, so, yeah, he's definitely a great piece for um, for the Pelicans as well. Uh, Brandon Ingram has been in um, some most improved player discussions. Uh, do you think that's something that he could win this year? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know who the other you know candidates would be. I mean, I'm sure you always got to include uh, Lou Will out there in L.A. with yes. the Clippers. Some names I've seen: uh, Dwight Howard. You know, he's had a resurgence in right, L.A. Right. Uh, Derrick Rose. He's D. Played, Rose, I can see. Yeah. yeah, he's played well in uh, Detroit. Yeah, so those are just some um, names for that. Yeah, I just uh, I just thought it was interesting because Brandon Ingram has been the man. He's played very well for the Pelicans. So we'll we'll see how uh, Zion being incorporated into the offense again will uh, affect Brandon Ingram's play. I think it I think it's uh having Zion back will help um Lonzo Ball the most. Uh he's a passer running the floor. Those two will run the floor. I think it's just a perfect fit and uh yeah, I think those two will play very well together. The only thing I'm interested to see is how uh, Ingram fits into that into that puzzle. So yeah. Um before we get into the next topic, uh I want to make sure we didn't. Yeah, we got all the. We, we covered that topic uh, pretty good. So we'll go on to our next topic. Uh, we'll get into the AFC Championship game reaction Titans at Chiefs. Uh, we had a final score of uh, 34 to 25, Chiefs winning in that game. Uh, so, John, what, what was your uh, initial reaction uh, to that game? Well, you know, Chiefs got behind early again. Didn't affect them too much again. Pat Mahomes, we already know about him. Uh, I don't know if I'll take a little bit of flack for this, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say it already. Already, Patrick Mahomes, top ten quarterback all time, in my opinion. I don't, people might disagree with me. The dude's unreal, and he showed it. He's, he can even work with his legs. You know, he showed that with that long run against the Titans, and that's really what broke their backs. And uh, you know, they they did a good job too, surprisingly, against Derrick Henry. Uh, we're talking about the seventh worst rush defense in the league during the regular season. Held him to 19 carries for 69 yards, 3.6 yard average. Uh, really surprised me from that aspect. And uh, there was a seven point spread on that game. Uh, total the the uh, over under total was 51. Uh, if you listen last week, you know I predicted a 31 to 21 score in favor of the Chiefs. So if you listen to my advice there, you made you some money. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Keep listening to our advice, man. We'll do you well, man. We put in time with this. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for that advice, John. Yeah, some uh, initial thoughts for me. Uh, the Chiefs had 10 rushing first downs to Tennessee's four rushing first downs. Uh, you would think that would be completely opposite. Right. I thought that was a big stat, uh, stat to point out uh, during the game. There were no, uh, no turnovers for either side, so we had a pretty clean game in that aspect. Um, and I just think that the Titans uh, needed a turnover or two if they were going to pull off that upset, which they couldn't get. So uh, the time of possession, time of possession uh, was pretty even. Tennessee had the ball for uh, 30 minutes and 10 seconds to uh, Kansas City's 29 minutes and 50 seconds. So it's pretty even in that uh, aspect, which I felt I wanted to point this out because I felt that Tennessee needed to uh, win the time of possession battle. That's just something that they couldn't do uh, in this matchup. Uh, the Titans started off up 10-0. to And uh, even at one point, they had a 17-7 to lead. And that was in the second quarter. 
So I just thought that that gave them a, the perfect opportunity to utilize Derrick Henry uh, in their ball control offense. But uh, Henry had a decent first half. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so his stats in the first half. 60, carried the ball 16 times for 62 yards and a touchdown, uh, which is very good. Uh, they they rode him in the first half. Uh, and you saw it. It worked in the first half. Um, but basically what happened was, yeah, what happened was they went down. Mahomes, uh, he threw the first touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill, made it 17-14. to 14, And then, like you talked about earlier, the Mahomes run, you know, that was that with was only it, 20, 23 seconds left in the half, in the first half. Uh, Mahomes puts the Chiefs up 21 to 17. I thought from that moment forward, you pretty much knew it was going to be hard for Tennessee to get that momentum back. Uh, they basically, uh, some stats I wanted to point out, this was huge. Uh, they got down 21-17, like I mentioned. Uh, there were no touchdowns for either side during the third quarter, but um, – Derrick Henry in the second half, he only had three carries for seven yards. Yeah, I was about to allude to that a little bit. I believe it was you that uh, mentioned on one of the posts on our Facebook page a couple days ago about uh, when teams, when, when Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense, when they go up a touchdown, teams just tend to panic a little bit. And I yep. think that's definitely what happened here because, you know, what are the Titans known for? They, I mean, they're literally known for continuing to run the ball even when they get behind. And they just completely abandoned it in the second half of that game. It was pretty shocking to see. Three carries is just, for Derrick Henry in the second half, I mean, if you're down or not, I just feel like that's totally unacceptable. Like I said, there were no touchdowns in the third quarter by either side. So it's a 21-17 game, and Derrick Henry's still not getting the ball. So I know Frank Clark did a lot of bragging after the game about the Chiefs shutting Derrick Henry down, but I just wanted to point that out because it was was just as much the Chiefs offense scaring Tennessee into – getting out of their game, and it was the Chiefs defense just shutting Derrick Henry down. Yeah, I agree with that one. I mean, if he he got 16 carries in the first half, only had three carries the rest of the game. If you Who knows what happens if you continue to feed him in the third quarter, but they, they just got away from that. So I definitely wanted to point that out. Um, another another uh, Derrick Henry was out uh, total yards-wise. Derrick Henry was out total by um, Damian Williams, which was – no one thought that coming into this game. That's, right. Damian Williams had 89 total yards uh, to Derrick Henry's 61. Damian Williams has played pretty well uh, during his playoff run for Kansas City, so I just thought I would point that out. And it's just amazing that um, after the run Derrick Henry had, that he comes, he ends up with uh, 61 total yards. He had two catches for negative eight yards, which brought him down to 61 total yards. So it just wasn't a good game for uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, but like we said, he didn't get the opportunities as far as the ground game in the second half. Right. right. So, yeah, as far as another thing I want to point out, uh, the Chiefs, the Chiefs' weapons, they just they just have a number of weapons. In this game, Sammy Watkins had seven catches, 114 yards. He led the team in targets with 10. Um, and then you got Tyreek Hill, who had five catches, 67 yards, two touchdowns. So, I mean, they can kill you from a number of different ways, as we saw with uh, Travis Kelsey last week. Um, he had three touchdowns, and he was the man last week. So it could be a number of different people that, that hurt you for the Chiefs each and every time they play you. So I think that's what makes them so dangerous. Oh, yeah, for sure. So yeah, they yeah. Got, they've got four or five guys on that offense at the skill positions that can really take it to the house any given play. You even talk about McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and on down the list. I mean, it's all of them. Yeah, so I, I wanted to touch on what you said earlier. So you got – I, I got to disagree on this one. You got Mahomes in your top ten already. <laughs> uh, the only reason I, I'm – you know me, I'm big on uh, playoff victories, playoff success um, in any sport. Um, not just playoff success, but championships. I think that's the biggest thing uh, for me. You know, we had this conversation with uh, LeBron and Kobe a lot. Like, championships are just big for me. I think, you know, that's why you play the game in any sport. So Yeah, that's fair. If we're looking at just straight talent, though, I mean – yeah, see, you're going, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's how I'm looking okay. at it. Like, that's I mean, why I, I wanted to get I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you would have to use all 10 of your fingers on your hands to, to you know, list all the quarterbacks in the history of the league that has more talent. Talent-wise? Oh, yeah. If we're going based off of talent, I probably could put them in my top five right now. But right. Yeah, yeah uh, for me, yeah, as far as putting players in my top 10, I definitely got to go with, you know, the accomplishments, the wins. Right, right. So, that's fair. Yeah, so – but talent-wise, yeah, I think you're right on with that. Uh, 
Mahomes was one of the most talented players we've ever seen. Uh, I know Lamar Jackson got a lot of hype during the regular season, um, but Mahomes proved he's still the best uh, quarterback, and I think he's the best player overall in in the NFL today. So, yeah, I'd yeah, have man. to agree with that for sure. So you yeah. want to go ahead and move on to the yeah, NFC we'll Championship? Move on. We'll move on there. Uh, we'll move on to the NFC Championship game. Uh, we got the Packers at the 49ers, uh, 37 to 20 score. Uh, I think we can keep this one pretty short and sweet. Uh, this game was pretty much an old-fashioned butt whooping, uh, <laughs> just like it was in the first meeting uh, during these two, during the regular season. Uh, what were your initial reactions? Yeah, so you just heard me brag a little bit about my predictions in the AFC game. Uh, I did that because I know I'm going to take some digs on this one because I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, I predicted a 27-24 final score last week, which did get us there on the over. The over-under on the game was actually only like 45, I believe. But obviously, Packers were nowhere close to covering the seven and a half point spread, so we missed on that one. Uh, if you looked at, at our Facebook page uh, Sunday, we did uh, what, what we're calling deep dive. We just you know dig into some stats and stuff to kind of predict the matchup a little bit, and we uh, we took note right then, even in that post. That I mean, you don't it doesn't take a scientist to know the 49ers are going to try to run the ball. That's what they've done all year. But the 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 Packers defense, you know, pretty weak against the run. And uh, Raheem Mostert, Mostert, however you say it, I mean, man, what a game. 29 carries, 220 yards, four touchdowns. And I, I, dig, I dug a little deeper on, uh, on him individually. The guy had 759 rushing yards total in four seasons at Purdue University combined. Wow. Was released by six teams, including my Browns, of course, before finally landing with the 49ers. And, I mean, you, you got to love a story like that. I mean, to show up like that on that stage, you know, that, that's a big that's a big moment. Wow. I did not – you know, I'm a big Buckeye fan. I didn't even know Mostert uh, went to uh, Purdue. So, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, he didn't – he obviously didn't do too much or I probably would have heard of him. But, right. yeah, that's, that is incredible. I had heard that he had got dropped by um, – cut by a number of teams in NFL – so, yeah, what he did was uh, remarkable during that game. One thing I wanted to point out about that now that you brought up uh, Mostert, uh, the 49ers, what they did in this matchup was totally opposite of what they did um, in the first matchup between these two uh, during the regular season. Um, like we said, Mostert had 220 yards uh, rushing and four touchdowns in this uh, playoff matchup. During the regular season, uh, when these two faced off, uh, San Fran only ran for – I want to say 112, yeah, here it is, 112 yards uh, total as a team. Mostert was the leading rusher, and uh, he only had in that game uh, 45 rushing yards. So, yeah, uh, Jimmy G, we all talked about it. I made a Facebook uh, post about it on our Facebook page. Uh, Jimmy G went, what, uh, 68, six for eight, uh, rather, for 77 yards passing. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. Uh, I've seen people say that Jimmy G um, – he can't get it done if they have to pass. See, I, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that, and the only reason why is because we don't know. I mean, he's not really been in a situation where he's had to prove that. See, in the first matchup, like I said, um, like I was talking about, uh, Mostert only had forty-five yards, and he was the leading rusher uh, in that first matchup. Jimmy G completed fourteen and twenty passes for two hundred and fifty-three yards and two touchdowns. Um, also, someone brought up on our Facebook page that. And at first, I didn't agree with this either, that Jimmy G could get it done. But the more I think about it and the more I look at the numbers, Jimmy G can get it done. He has got it done. Uh, the matchup against the Saints, he got it done as well. They passed a lot in that game. Jimmy G play, uh, played well in that game as well. So I just think um, at this point, I'm almost swaying my pick. I mean, I we're going to hold off on uh, Super Bowl picks for now. But the more I look into the numbers, the more I just – come to the realization that I, I think the, the 49ers are all around the best team. They can win in a number of different ways. They can pass the ball. They can run the ball. Um, I know Kittle didn't have a good game um, last time he played the, or this past matchup with the Packers, but the first matchup, yeah, he caught six passes for 129 yards and a touchdown. This, pa this past game, he only caught one pass for, I want to say, 16 yards, so they can but they ran the ball right, very successfully. Say, so only like, eight attempts passing. In total. It's almost like the 49ers can do what they need to do to win. They, they, like I think you said, they average 37 points a game. They don't average that for no reason. They can win a number of different ways, and I think they proved that. Um, Rogers played. Rogers played okay. I mean, 
better than he did the first game. The first game, he only had 104 yards passing and a touchdown. He threw for 323 yards. And this game, uh, he had two TDs and uh, two interceptions. Uh, in the first matchup, Aaron Jones wasn't featured at all uh, in the passing game. He had no catches. In this game, uh, they got him going a little more. He had five catches for 27 yards. And, and a touchdown. A, and a DraftKings victory for Derrick Woods. Oh, yeah. He's still mad about that. <laughs> yeah, man. I picked him uh, as my captain on DraftKings. Uh, if you're not, if you're familiar with that, yeah, he won me some money. So, yeah, he also had 12 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown. First matchup, all he, he only had 38 total yards. No catches, no touchdowns. So, they didn't get him involved. They did a better job of getting him involved. Devontae Adams caught uh, nine passes, 138 yards including one in which he burned Richard Sherman down the field for a 65-yard gain. Speaking of that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> that was uh, – they the Packers got their uh, playmakers involved, the ones that they do have. I think the biggest takeaway is that they need more playmakers. They need another uh, wide receiver on the opposite side of Adams uh, to help take some stress off uh, the passing game and so that they can get the ball downfield uh, more often. So, yeah, I think they'll uh, definitely – Address that in the draft when it comes time. But, yeah, we just brought up um, Richard Sherman. So, let's uh, segue, let's use that as a segue into the next topic. Uh, Richard Sherman versus Darrell Revis. Uh, who has had the better career to this point? Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, I think we should definitely preface this conversation by saying that they're both legendary players at their position. I mean, they're both Hall of Famers. Uh, Before you go on, let me uh, go let me, let me uh, rephrase that question Uh not who has, you know, who's who's the best cornerback of our generation. Let's phrase it that way. Not who has okay. had the best career, because uh, you know they've played. Sherman has uh, only played nine years to Revis's eleven, so you can't right. really judge their careers, you know, off of that. So let's just say who's the best cornerback uh, of our generation. I mean, I'm I'm giving the it's it's close, but I'm giving the edge to Revis Island. Uh, you know, his ability to uh, follow a receiver all across the field, obviously, you know, it's been well documented that Richard Sherman plays in more of zone schemes. He did that in Seattle, and now he's doing it again in San Francisco. Revis, he followed, he followed the main guy everywhere he went, and, you know, that's locking down one side of the field every single snap, and that opens up a lot for, uh, you know, blitz packages and things of that sort. Uh, it can free up a little, you know, maybe an extra second or two for the, for the defensive line, the pass rushers to get to the quarterback. And, uh, you know, especially in today's, you know, in today's game, we, we say after quarterback, pass rusher is probably the second most important, you know, position on the field. So there's really nothing more important than that uh, to go along. You know, you pair that with a, a shutdown corner and that can be a deadly combination. Um, I know you said you didn't really want to get into uh, too many of like the stack comparisons. Uh, part of the reason though, I'm also I'm giving the, reg, uh, the edge to Revis, sorry. Is, uh, he's got more Pro Bowls. He, he had seven selections compared to uh, five for Sherman. And, of course, Sherman's still going, though. Uh, All pro selections, he's also got the edge four to three right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, like I said, small edge to Revis, but it's close, though. I'm not hating on Sherman at all. Okay, yeah, so you're arguing for Revis. I'm actually on the other side of things. Uh, I think uh, Sherman, uh, I'll, I'll start off by saying this. Uh, if we look at their peaks uh, – I definitely think uh, Revis was the better all-around cornerback at his peak, at his very best, uh, as opposed to Sherman's very best season. Um, but my argument here is solely based on the best cornerback of the generation, the full body of work. So, yeah, I wanted to, before I get into my part of the argument, I want to get into what started this whole uh, nonsense, this whole argument. Yeah, I actually meant to bring that up. Yeah, I so uh, <laughs> well. We'll read a little bit of the Twitter back and forth between these two. Uh, Darrell Revis, he tweets, uh, fear of getting beat in man-to-man coverage. The fact that he doesn't travel, speaking of Sherman, as a cornerback is lame. Accept the challenge <laughs> as the best and shut Devontae Adams down the entire game. Stop hiding and cover three. So um, Sherman goes on to respond. Uh, he says, I would go in on this. But I have a Super Bowl to prepare for. Enjoy the view from the couch. Your ninth year looked a lot different than this. LMAO. So, yeah, then uh, Revis goes on to respond uh, in reference to his ninth year. My ninth year, I led the entire league in turnovers, five interceptions and four fumble recoveries. Enjoy the Super Bowl and strap up because this game you will have to cover. 
Sherman responds again, I have to cover every game, kid. I get my hands on the football in the playoffs, something you will never know anything about. Yeah, so that's what started this whole thing, man. Uh, this whole Twitter debate, uh, social media debate in general, who's better between Richard Sherman and Ralph Revis? It's uh, actually, uh, before before you get going, uh, they went out. This, this is the first time they've gone at it with each yeah, other on Twitter. It's not, it's not at all. Back in 2013, uh, uh, Sherman asked some fans, you know, at that time, who, who they thought was the better corner in the league between him and Revis. And Revis found out about it, and he, he was going in on him on Twitter back then, man. So these two have been around this road before. Yeah, man, <laughs> definitely. Uh, you know, cornerback's one of those positions. I don't know too many quarterbacks that don't have that. You know that type of swagger, that type type of confidence. You have to have that playing that position. I feel like, um, you know, things happen. Like Sherman got beat deep for the sixty-five yard catch um, um, by Devontae Adams. He comes back later in the game and gets uh, an interception. It's just part of the position. Uh, you have to have, you just have to have that confidence and come back the next play. And you know, I just think for me, uh, Sherman is the better. Um, cornerback of our gener- of our generation. Uh, some numbers uh, I wanted to point out. Uh, Sherman has more career intercep- interceptions uh, in two less seasons. Uh, he leads in that category, thirty five to twenty nine. Um, he only has thirty less career tackles in um, two in two less seasons, um, and he also has uh, more career force fumbles. Uh, Sherman is also clutch in the playoffs. Um, it's very close. I mean. But we're talking, you know, two of the best cornerbacks of our generation. So it's going to be a close debate. But um, Sherman has allowed a lower completion, uh, completion percentage during the playoffs. Um, his number is at uh, 48.9% as opposed to Revis's 50.6% in the playoffs. Uh, you can argue that it's because um, Revis is playing man-to-man. But for me, no matter what defense you're playing, uh, there's going to be a player that comes into your zone and you're going to have to cover them. For sure. Regardless. I mean, whether you're playing cover three, cover four, cover two, Still got to you do have job. a zone, and when the, a man comes into that zone, that, that's your man. Still um, got to so, do your job, and Sherman's definitely one of the best in doing yeah, his job. There's no so, doubt about it. Um, Sherman's another – Sherman's at best – his highest in, interception total for a season was six. Um, and then Reeves's highest interception total uh, for a season was only uh, – I'm sorry, Sherman's was eight, and uh, Reeves's was only six for highest for a season uh, interception total. Um, and then also Sherman had um, – he has more seasons with four or more interceptions. He he did that five times compared to Reeves's four. Uh, I think for me, turning the ball over is one of the biggest biggest stats for a cornerback especially. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the stats on that. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to mention, uh, Richard Sherman, he's now 31 years of age. Uh we saw Darrell Revis at 31 years of age. That was his last season uh, for the Jets. Uh, for those of you that don't remember, uh, we remember how that played out. It was so bad that the Jets, <laughs> the, the Jets just had to walk away from the situation. Uh, he finished his career out with the Chiefs. We know how that went. So, yeah, I just think that uh, Sherman's better, you know, at an older age than what Revis is. Revis was at that same age. Oh so. yeah, there, there's no disputing that. At, at this point in their careers, uh, Sherman's. Definitely out of him. And, uh, you know, he's still going. So, ask me this question again a year from now, two years from now. We might, you know, yeah. might be a different argument. Yep. yep, for sure. Yeah, so we'll leave that topic where it is. That was definitely a, a hot debate on social media. Uh, we'll get into our next topic. We're going, we want to get into some MLB. Um, this has been a really big uh, issue as well. Uh, the Astros punishment um, handed down by the MLB. Um over the stealing, the sign stealing allegations. Uh, do you think those punishments were fair? Uh, too much? Too little? Uh, I've come to realize since the since the punishment was handed out that I'm in the minority here. Uh, I'm actually okay with it. Uh, reason being, I, I know a lot of people wanted to see the title stripped, and I wouldn't be. You know, it's not like I'd be mad if they were to, if they were to take that title away. Uh, but for me. That's not going to, you know, men in black flash us and erase our memories. You know, like we're still going to remember what happened in the games. And so, and uh, I also saw, you know, just like yesterday, the day before the Dodgers came out talking about a protest and they wanted uh, 2017 and 2018 because the Red Sox were doing the same stuff. They want both of those titles to be rewarded to them. And I just think, 
I think that's ridiculous. I mean, you, you could take this, you strip the titles away, I'm fine with that, but you can't reward them to a team that lost on the field, even if the other team was cheating, because you don't know what would have happened, you know what I mean? But uh, yep. as far as what's to come, though, I mean, I don't know, anybody. if anybody listens to 97.1 The Fan out of Columbus, uh, Jensen Lewis, former pitcher for the uh, the Tribe, he appeared on Carpenter and Rothman on there, and uh, they asked him, you know, what he thought of the situation, and to summarize, he said that it was only the tip of the iceberg and that more people are going to come forward with further allegations. And uh, pretty much this is an epidemic, and it's good that it came out because maybe now the league can start to get it get it under control a little bit. Yeah, I wanted to point out, uh, for those that don't know, the exact punishments. Uh, the Astros were punished by um, Major League Baseball. Uh, they were, Their GM and their um, manager, uh, Jeff Lunthrow and A.J. Hinch, were suspended, which they ended up – getting uh fired anyway so that that basically for me that's that's part of it like they they were suspended but the owner could just move on from them i do agree with that like they should have been forced to keep those guys on staff like for a year they could just move on for them and they're not even part of the punishment i I want to bring up that that. i I mean so then they were both suspended for one year later fired uh, or had already been dismissed and then also um the punishment also includes a $5 million fine, which we all know that's chump change in baseball, especially to a to an owner. Right. Um, and then um, they lost uh, some draft picks, uh, first and second round draft picks in both 2020 and 2021. And that's the big thing for me because, I mean, you know, we know how important it is to build a farm system in the major leagues and losing out on those uh, those four draft picks over the next two years, that's, that could definitely have the potential to come back and haunt them. Granted, you know, it should be said that they'll probably be later. Yeah, Yeah, right. They're a good team. So those draft picks, I mean, they'll be pretty late picks. But, I mean, you can always find a steal. So you can find a steal in a draft. But, yeah, for me, an issue I wanted to bring up on this, um, I was listening listening to a podcast, um, MLB podcast. uh, It's actually uh, ESPN Baseball Tonight. Uh, Tim Kirchin Kirchin was uh, speaking about – the issue of the punishment handed out to the Astros. And he's basically saying, um, from everything I've heard listening to the podcast, it was more of a player-driven scheme. Like, the whole thing was, a lot of it was based off the players came up with the idea, wanted to do it, performed the acts, you know what I mean? But the biggest thing is uh, none of the players were punished. So I think that's the biggest argument uh, for people is that uh, none of the players were punished in this and – those are the players who actually perform the acts. So how do you feel about them not getting any, any punishment? Well, I read initially when, you know, everybody first started piecing all that together that the players weren't getting punished, uh, there was like a little conspiracy theory going on that because, uh, you know, there's a new collective bargaining agreement that's going to have to be agreed to um, is it this year or next. I'm not sure. But uh, basically it was the conspiracy theory was that the owners were taking it light on the players, you know, as kind of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type deal. And uh, but then it's came out since then that um, the players weren't punished because of what was the reason? I'm, I'm trying to think. I I had it on the tip of my tongue. Oh yeah, the players it. weren't the players weren't punished because it's hard to you know say who did the acts when. It's hard to prove that. That's from what I've heard. Yeah, and that that's part of the reason why, uh, from my understanding at least, is Carlos Beltran. You know, he took the manager managerial job for the uh, Mets. Yep. And uh, was basically relieved of his duties. And at that point, it was like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, he was part of it, so he's not a player anymore. So they just they kicked him out at that point. But and then also but, um, Red Sox manager uh, Alex Correa was also fired because he was a part of that scheme as well. Right. So it's just and been. What I was going to say that I forgot, uh, some of the players they said weren't punished that were involved because uh, I guess they've struck a deal like kind of behind closed doors that um, – those players are going to pretty much give up some other people too, and, wow. and uncover some more. That's crazy because what I heard in that podcast that I was referring to, ESPN Tonight podcast, uh, I've heard that the MLB um, leading up to the firing of uh, Alex Carrera, they were basically building a case against him, uh, just stacking up evidence, stacking up stuff, and they're basically like you said. Uh, it sounds like to me <laughs> there's a whole lot of nonsense going on in the MLB. Like um, they're discussing like like if players like so you're basically saying if players were to give up information their p- penalties b- would be less severe. That sounds yep. like 
our our judicial system right, to me. Exactly, so it's just crazy. That's definitely crazy. It's the biggest scandal in baseball since the steroids. So, I mean, it's 1998 Sosa McGuire type stuff. One, yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you: Do you think like you think scandals like this will sway fans away from the game? Uh, I mean, I think that kind of where the game's at now, um, you know, it appeals to, I mean, we're, we're kind of probably the last generation that's really into baseball. I mean, the, the guys younger than us, you know, they say it's too slow, you know, whatever, what have you. But the guys that are into it will defend it at all costs, you know what I mean? So they talk about making changes for the, you know, pace of the game to make it quicker and all this. When it, if, you're, if you're a classic baseball guy, you don't want any of that. You don't want electronic umpires you know like you just want baseball as you've you know know, come to expect it and so when it comes to like the the hardcore guys like that I don't think this is going to affect it much yeah so for me stuff like that is like it kind of sways me it's like am I watching am I watching real athletes going at it trying to win or am I watching a bunch of cheating like you hear about (laughs) I've been hearing all week, um, even from baseball players, that it's they basically don't feel like it's that bad, like because everybody's doing it. Because, but for me, it's just like sports are meant to be played the right way. I don't care what sport it is. Right. Um, I know there's probably some unwritten rules in baseball, but for me, Definitely. I think it should just be um, you play the game, you play it fair, you play it right. The best team is going to win. I mean. I'm not, like, against sign-stealing as, as a whole. It's just for yeah. me, like, when you start bringing in electronics, you yep. start, you know, video cameras, pounding on trash cans in the in the dugout, like, what are we doing, you know? Like, if you got a guy standing on second base and he catches something with the pitcher, you know, by all means, share that with your hitter, let him know, that's fine. But, like, don't use electronics with it. That's, that's ridiculous. That crosses the line. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that one. Yeah, so uh, I want to get into our next topic now, uh, I want to talk about uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, there's, they're currently sitting at number one seed in the West, um, and they just beat, I want to say, the New York Knicks last night, uh, which isn't, you know, which isn't a huge win. The, 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 the thing I want to talk about is, about the Lakers is uh, they just, uh, on Monday, they got beat 139-107 to 107 by Boston. And then... For me, it's just against some of the good competition, uh, they're kind of struggling. Uh, wanted to bring up some stats here. I mean, I know I say that, but then they're they're still twelve and eight against teams above five hundred. So, do you think uh, the Lakers struggle against you know top competition? Yeah, I actually had that same stat there: twelve and eight against teams with winning records, twenty three and one, I believe, against everyone else. Yeah, so they've been beating up on all the bad teams. Which you know, that's fine. You're supposed to. Yep. yep. But uh, I don't. I don't know if it's if it's sustainable with the current roster. Uh, I know they got some trade trade targets in mind. Uh, Derrick Rose has been rumored. Ro- yep. Robert Covington's been rumored. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, however you say that guy, yep. uh, from Sacramento. I think him personally. I think he'd be a home run. Uh, he plays good defense, got good length, shoots thirty eight percent from three, and we all know how important it is to have those three and D guys on the on the floor with LeBron. And uh, same with Robert Covington to a lesser extent. Uh, good defense, you know, thirty five percent from from three. Um, Derrick Rose, I feel like is a popular choice among fans, but I don't. I mean, I'm not saying it'd be a bad pickup. But for one, I'm not sure who you give up to get him because the the thought of trading Kuzma for Derrick Rose, you know, that's that's kind of lopsided in favor of the Pistons, in my opinion. And, that's, uh, yeah, that's my but, only thing on a lot of these trade rumors is that the Lakers don't have much to give back in return. Um, on their bench, I mean, I know they got uh, guys like Rondo. Uh, I mean, who else would you give up in a trade? They don't, I know I've they seen, don't have any draft picks. Um, K, uh, KCP. Uh, yeah, that's what I was about to mention. Caldwell Pope. I mean, you could give up him. You could give up Rondo. Uh, besides that, you're talking about giving up guys like uh, Kuz, Danny Green, which those are just pieces that you don't want to give up. Um, another name that I've – did you say him already? Zach Levine. Uh, no, no. That's another name I've seen. Uh, that's – shut it down if they get Zach Levine. Right, I mean. yeah, yeah. 
See, but with Zach Levine, they would definitely have to give up Kuz. I've even seen they would have to give up Kuz and Danny Green. So, I mean, would you really want to do something like that? Oh, I would see. Again, I'm just like Brandon Egren. I'm, I'm pretty high on Zach Levine. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little to a point that it's a little biased because I was even high on him when he first came out of college. Uh, and he's been he's been killing it this year, man, in Chicago. So he's kind of streaky though. It's like one day he'll go off for like forty five, and the next he'll drop twelve. You know. But I but. do. I just do. I think he is uh, as far as a playmaker. We've heard a lot about the Lakers needing another playmaker. LeBron basically does all the playmaker playmaking for the Lakers, uh, which is why he leads the NBA in assists. Um, yeah, but I think Zach Levine would be a perfect uh, playmaker type. Um, to go alongside LeBron. D. Rose would be as well, but uh, who knows what the Lakers would have to give up to give uh, to get back players like that. Yeah, so, that's the problem. Yeah, uh, also some names I've been hearing. This is just, you know, uh, Darren Collison. He's actually out of the NBA right now, but I've heard of a returns uh, of a uh, return date for him in February sometime. Uh, and picking between the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, I've heard that. And then also DJ Augustine, I've I've heard that name as well. Those are two uh, lower-name players that I think would fit perfect for the Lakers as well. How do you feel about those names? Uh, you know, they're not really movers and shakers like the other guys, but, you know, sometimes that's necessary to make those moves, especially when on a roster that involves LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I mean, Yeah, so basically what I wanted to get to, what I let's just get straight to the point. Uh, do you think the Lakers can win a championship? Uh, that's because that's what it's about. Uh, it's not about having the best record during a regular season. It's not. That's not what it's about. Can they win uh, a championship as currently constructed? I don't think there's any doubt they can. Because when it comes down to it, LeBron and Anthony Davis, I said this last week, they're the best one-two punch in the league. And we know how once playoff time comes around, the, the league starts to shift more to the superstars. And uh, I think I still think the, the biggest challenge – for them in the in the Western Conference playoffs will come from the team that they share a building with. Uh, you know, we'll have to see how the Clippers mesh. I mentioned that last week too. But I think come playoff time, they're going to definitely put it together. So I would not be surprised. Obviously, we have to see how the seeding shakes out. But I definitely wouldn't be surprised if we had an all-LA uh, Western Conference finals. And that would be the biggest hurdle for the Lakers, I think. Yeah, uh, speaking of the Clippers, uh, you said they'll be meshing around uh, playoff time. Um, I wanted to speak on that. Uh, I I was watching Sports Center last night. Uh, Doc Rivers was talking about how the, the Clippers have won eight out of the last ten games, and uh, it just sounds like Doc is really excited about how the Clippers are finally meshing together as a team. You know, uh, Paul George missed some games at the beginning of the season. Uh, they've been going through the load management with Kawhi, so I just think they're finally starting to mesh. Uh, like I said, they won eight out of ten, so they they're just a team that really scares me when it comes to the Lakers. Uh, the Lakers have lost uh, both matchups. <laughs> Uh, the season opener and then the Christmas Day game against the Clippers. Uh, they play the Clippers coming up uh, Tuesday, January 28th. That'll be 10 p.m. on uh, TNT. Um, some pr- free promotion for them. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so that game is coming up. So we'll see how the Lakers look against them in the third matchup. Uh, hopefully they can start to get some things figured out as far as, you know, because playoffs, uh, they're – it's not right around the corner, but you want to start to get into gear after the All-Star break. So, yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to point out uh, as far as the Lakers, um, do you think do you think they can get away? Can they get away with um, just – I know you said you, you don't – you feel like they can win with this team but mm-hmm. currently constructed, but do you think that Rondo is a good enough – uh, fit off the bench. Um, as far as the playmaker, the person that's running the offense uh, for the second unit. See, I, I saw a stat earlier today. I was reading up, and uh, they actually, when LeBron's on the on the court, they're like in the 90th percentile in offensive production or something like that. Yep. And uh, when he's off the floor, they drop to like 60. But it was weird. It's like when Rondo was on the floor, though, when Rondo was on the floor with AD – but LeBron was on the bench, they boost back up to like 85%, 90%. But then it's on the defensive side is where they take the hit. So to tie all this together, that's why I think that either Covington or Bogdanovich would be a better trade target than Derrick Rose because to me, especially as we get later in the season, starting closer to playoff time, you can give Rondo a little uptick in minutes uh, and then have you know one of those other guys come in, space the floor, and uh, get, let, him, let Rondo and AD pair up 
and, you know, space out that, that paint, you know, let, let the big man go to work. That's just my opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a little nervous, man. As you can tell, I'm, I'm definitely uh, peppering you with questions right now about the Lakers, but I just want to get into it. Um, like I said, they're, they've, they've struggled against some of the better teams. Uh, they lost to Milwaukee. Like, they've only had nine losses. I know I'm being a little nitpicky here, but they lost to Milwaukee, Toronto. They just lost to a lot of good the teams. Thing to, the thing to be optimistic about, uh, I know he's getting up there in age, and obviously we always want to mention health uh, first and foremost, but as long as LeBron's good to go, playoff LeBron is always the best version of LeBron. Yep. So he's definitely going to be there. Yep. yep, yeah, I guess I haven't seen – I'm I'm so excited to see uh, playoff LeBron as a Laker. Right. I know he turns it to another level for sure. Um, yeah, so the Lakers, man, uh, should be an interesting uh, last stretch of the NBA. We'll see how that finishes out for uh, the Lakers. Um, we'll get into another topic. We'll switch gears here. Um, Eli Manning, uh, he recently retired. I think he retired yesterday um, after 16 seasons in the NFL. Um, he retires with a 117 and 117 career record. Um, we know he has two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. So, uh, my question for you, John, is, uh, Eli a Hall of Famer? For me, no, he's not. Um, ultimately, this depends on what your definition of the Hall of Fame actually is. I mean, for me, like, I'm pretty strict with my definition. I want the very best of the very best. And for me, if you look at Eli, you mentioned his career record as a starter, 500. I mean, not, you know, average at best when it comes to that. Uh, At no point during his 16-year career did you ever look and say, Eli Manning is the best quarterback in the league. You know what I mean? He threw 244 interceptions in his career. Actually, only had two seasons in his whole 16-year career that he threw less than 10 interceptions. And those were his rookie year when he started nine games and this past season, 2019, where he started four games. He's got an 84.1 career passer rating. Of course, you know, that, that, that passer rating stat can be a little, you know, it's a little misleading sometimes. But as of now, uh, current guys that are, that are ahead of him in career passer rating, we've got Case Keenum, Jameis Winston, wow. Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Nick Ouch. Foles, David Garrard, and I didn't even list all of them. That's just a few of them that I named. So we got all these guys who wow. you know, are above him in career pass rating. Hold on, John. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you got a little disrespectful. You threw David Garrard in there. David Garrard, man. Oh, man, that's a throwback. I, I love that one. <laughs> so you're telling me. <laughs> is this career? So that was career uh, pass rating. Career pass rating, yeah. Eli Manning lower than David Garrard. Yeah. Wow. That's, 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 David Garrard wasn't even as surprising to me as Mariota and Winston. And then, yeah, Mario. Winston's coming off 30, 30 interceptions this season and <laughs> yeah. still has a better passer rating. Like, that's, oh, that cuts man. it for me. And then, Mariota, we know how bad he's been. Oh, yeah, that's a good st- <laughs> Definitely a good stat right there, man. Wow. So, for me, I'm a, I will say um, we had this discussion on a Facebook post I posted last night. Uh, I'm kind of in agreement with uh, one of our um, Facebook followers uh, as far as I do think he should get in, but not first ballot. Maybe not even second ballot. I mean, but for me, um, like I said, I said it earlier in this podcast, um, I'm big on championships. uh, And Eli has two of them. And he was a big part of those. I mean, as much as everybody wants to say uh, Giants had a defense, Giants carried them, they wouldn't have won those Super Bowls without Eli. Made some pretty big plays, as we all saw. And I give him credit. He beat one of the best teams – I've been watching NFL since the first season I truly remember watching. I know people give me uh, – I know people give me a slack for this all the time, uh, saying that I don't get the – I've never seen the Cowboys win a championship. They're they're actually right on that. I don't remember the Cowboys' last championship. But the, the mm-hmm. first season I remember watching was 1997 um, season because I remember watching the Super Bowl. It was Green Bay Packers and uh, – Against Denver Broncos, John. I'm just going to ask you real quick. You sure you don't want to edit that out? Because you're going you're gonna to take some you're gonna take some slack for that, man. You better lie till you die. Pretend like you remember that. You remember the whole – you can tell you say, – say where you were that day. You remember all that whole game. <laughs> hey, man, we got to keep it honest here, man. All gotta, right, I gave you a chance. Got to keep it real here, man. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember those Super Bowls. So, Cowboys, give me a Super Bowl that I can remember. Please. <laughs> please. I know people are going to kill me for this, but 
Yeah, like I said, we keep it real on In the Field Podcast. So, yeah, first season I remember watching was 1997. Since then, I've, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen um, a team, in my opinion, that was as good as the that Patriots team that Eli beat. Uh, they went, what, 18-0 leading up to that game. Yep. That was just one of the best overall teams I've ever seen, and they didn't win the Super Bowl. And why is that? Because of a play that Eli made. I mean. That was the uh, so, David Tyree, right? That was that yeah, game. Yeah, the David Tyree game. Yeah, to beat the, to beat the 18-0 and Patriots. That guy so, made one catch in his life that I people mean, remember. <laughs> for me, Eli can almost go into the Hall of Fame off of that. So, I was so happy about that because, you know, I hate the Giants, but – the Patriots just got just went on a run to where I just started hating just, them even you more. Started feel fatigued with it. Yeah, that's why it's actually refreshing this this year getting the Forty uh, Niners and the Chiefs. Yeah, matchup. like I I just got tired of them, so I really wanted uh, the Giants to get that done, and they did. So yeah, that was a big one for me. I'm big on championships, so yeah, I think Eli should get in, but man, he it, it might take him a while. He, I think he will get in, but again, yeah. I just I don't think he should. But you know, the Hall of Fame is slowly in all sports, not just football, but. Hall of Fame is slowly turning into the Hall of Good, so I'm sure yeah, he'll get right. in. I think the NFL is harder to get into the Hall of Fame than it is. Uh, I think that well, it's definitely harder to get into baseball. Yeah, for sure. and I think the NBA is really easy to get into the Hall of Fame. Seems like well, when it's when it comes to NBA, uh, they do it's just a basketball Hall of Fame. So you I mean, right, right, uh, right. What's his name yeah. from uh, the is it National Trails? Whoever the guy was that started National Trails, I'm blanking on his name right now. But he, you know, Jim Scobie. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. One of them guys is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah. You're right. I forgot that it wasn't just, you know, it's not just NBA Hall of Fame. It's Basketball Hall of Fame. So, yeah, that's that's key to point out. Okay. Well, uh, we want to get in. We're running out of time here. Uh, so, But I want to get in this topic. Uh, it's a little different. Uh, I'm not too familiar with it, but I'm John's, John's going to school me on it, man. <laughs> NHL. We'll get into a little uh, Blue Jackets. So, yeah, I'll uh, let John get into it from here. Yeah, so the uh, the Jackets, since December 16th, so a little over a month, about five weeks, they're 14-2-2. Two two. Uh, for those that aren't real familiar with how the NHL, NHL does their standings, they don't go strictly off win-loss record. They, uh, you get, they do a point system. You get two points for every win, uh, zero points for losses, obviously, but that regulation losses, I should say. Uh, if you get into overtime, if you go into overtime, you're guaranteed at least one point. So you either get two points if you win or one point if you lose, and that's where that uh, that third number comes when you're when you're talking about win loss. So they're 14, two and two, meaning they got 14 wins, two losses, two overtime losses, and uh, at, it's pretty crazy because at that point in time, just about five weeks ago, they were last in the Metropolitan Division. Uh, as of now, they're currently sitting first in the in the first wild card spot as we head into the All Star break. Uh, after losing Sergey Bobrovsky, they're uh, Two-time Vesna-winning uh, goalie. They lost Artemi Panarin and Matt Duchesne, two of the better on-ice on skaters. Uh, Jonas Corposalo this year stepped in to replace Bobrovsky, and he's uh, actually developed into an all-star himself. Got hurt, and then Elvis Merzlikens came in, and he's been in a, just a stud ever since he came in also. And uh, it's been pr- pretty wild. John Tortorella, their head coach, is already getting consideration for coach of the year at this pace. And uh, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be real intriguing to see how they finish. They're a real young team, and uh, those young guys are stepping up. Uh, veterans are coming back from injury. They had a lot of injuries this year. But they keep up this pace, man. They're one of the most exciting teams in the league. So I just wanted to cut that in because I know we got some guys that are uh, Blue Jackets followers. NHL is not the most popular sport, you know, obviously, that we cover. But definitely just wanted to include that in there a little bit. Yeah, we appreciate that, John. Uh, like we said on In the Field podcast, we're your source for all things sports, and. When we say that, we mean all sports. Uh, if we don't know it, we'll get to know it. Like I said, I don't. I'm not the best NHL uh, analyst, but I'm, I'm. I'm going to learn. I'm going to put the time in, and we'll get you that information as well. Uh, we'll try to fit some of that in every week for you NHL fans. Uh, at least uh, some Blue Jacket news uh, locally. Yeah, man. So, uh, like I said, we're running out of time here. So we're going to go ahead and. Uh, Cut this short. Uh, we want to thank all of our uh, listeners ahead of time. Thank you for listening. Uh, the podcast will be posted to our page, uh, our Facebook page, which is um, facebook.com slash in the field podcast. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter as well at uh, ITF 
podcast. Is that it? ITF. No, I'm sorry. You can follow us on Twitter at ITF Sports. Right. Yeah. We've also got a uh, website. I don't believe that it's all the way finished yet. You can check it out if you want, but it's not totally complete yet. Uh, that's theitfpodcast.com, so T-H-E-I-T-F-podcast.com. Special shout-out to Jordan Powell, by the way, for setting that up for us. Uh, yeah. Definitely owe him some appreciation because it looks good, and we're going to be bringing you guys some extra content on that as well. We're both going to be uh, writing some articles, some blogs, whatever you want to call it, so we'll de- you know definitely check that out. Yeah, so shout out to our web designer, uh, Jordan, and then also uh, shout out to my brother, Rashawn, for uh, he's he's been helping us along the way with uh, technical issues. Yeah, so, he came yeah. in clutch last week for sure. <laughs> yeah, man, we got two tech guys, man, and they're, they're helping us out big time. Shouts out to them. So, yeah, we'll finish up this, uh, this podcast, man. Uh, make sure you tune in next week, every Thursday, uh, In the Field Podcast, baby. Let's get it.